welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanner Grace, as always. I'm joined by Ross Merriam, and uh, if you're watching this live, you can see us! It's another one of the uh, live episodes that we're kind of making a tradition now because there's a new set. Uh, the set got released a little early for us. Um, we didn't realize it was going to be on a Tuesday, so here we are. It's uh, Tuesday night, and Ross is streaming this on Twitch you right got now. got everything together? Yeah, hopefully, if you're listening to this audio-wise, if like that's the way the medium in which you digest Pioneer Cast, hopefully this translates well for you. We'll try to do as much as we possibly can. Uh, Brent will clean up the audio as much as we can. We're going to try to interact with the chat a little bit, but make sure in the future um, you'll be looking out for these. Follow Ross on Twitch. It's Ross underscore Merriam. Uh, very easy to find on there. And there should be a VOD of this up as well. So um, if you want to come back and, and watch it, you can watch it and see Ross's beautiful beard and tannin's beautiful stubble yeah it's always perfect right it's always five o'clock somewhere on my face it's a good level of stubble it's i have the perfect level i like have perfect stubble and then my facial hair sucks otherwise yeah i get that that's not a bad that's actually not bad facial hair to have yeah i know right i'm though i'm amenable to a lot of different kinds of facial hair there's one in particular uh, sort of two-ish i i don't like goatees have you seen the old pictures of me with the goatee, the yeah. chia pet? <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't like the Van Dyke, which was the first facial hair that I actually grew when I was 16. Because I think most of us in. had a Van Dyke phase, by the way. Yeah. If you don't know, a Van Dyke is, is just the chin, uh, chin beard, um, usually with the soul patch. Um, I actually, if somebody grows a good mustache, I like a good mustache. There, there's a high bar for what good is, but good mustaches are good. I really want to, at some point in my life, have mutton chops. I haven't really gotten to the point where I'm brave enough to do it, but I really want to. I can do it. It's just they're not very muttony. You, if you get what I'm trying to say, like yeah, I have yeah. like the longer, like I have kind of like yours. Like I don't, I, I don't have the, I guess the Irish gene that makes it like you know just this big, huge, ridiculous yeah, thing on yeah. the side of your head. If you get what I'm trying to say, I, I'm like making a physical movement so the people watching <laughs> at home can see, but. The, the people who are listening to this that don't. Yeah, now everybody's going to be able to see all the things that we just normally talk about, mm-hmm. right? Any weird looks that we give each other. Everybody watching the audience, that's the perk of getting to watch PioneerCast live. I have to remember that. Uh, I, I definitely told myself that many times when we did this for the first time because there's a lot of times you'll say something and I'll just like make a face or whatever. And I'm like, I can't do that when, uh, you know what I mean? When when you're when, when there's watching. a video camera on me. Yeah, yeah. Eh, you can give me faces. Nobody's going to notice. Yeah, they'll just be watching you. Let's be real. Exactly. All right. Um. So, have you had anything fun going on in the last week? Um. I, know, I had another hangout with my old college friends on Sunday. Um. Friends it's kind of funny. Nice. Like, you know, we've typically done. I would say for the last six to eight years, and we're coming up on our ten. Our, our ten year reunion was supposed to be last month. Uh, obviously, you know, got canceled. And, but I would say for the last six or eight years, we've gotten together about once a year. I think we've missed one in there. Um, and we'll like, find a place to, you know, to gather, usually on the West Coast, because most of them are there. It was going to be East Coast this year. Would you call it a gathering point? Hmm. No, I would not. But, no, like, it was going to be East Coast this year, but uh, a, one of the couples had a, a baby uh, in January, actually. And so in, in March, right before things got locked down, kind of like two weeks, kind of irresponsibly, but we had had it planned for months. Um, we we all gathered out in Oakland um, for a weekend. And so we got our, our, you know, 
our reunion in this uh, this year before COVID hit, which was good. But since COVID hit, like we've hung out on, on Zoom, you know, every other week or so. And it's getting to the point where we're like running out of things to talk about. It's like, yeah, how's that? Because normally if you don't see people for a year, yeah. there's plenty to talk about, right? If you see people every week or every other week for like a month and a half straight, you, you kind of run out of things, especially now when nobody's doing anything. Yeah. It's like, yep, still not going into work or like, you know, still barely doing anything. Still, you know, going stir crazy. Okay, good. <laughs> good to know. Yes, good same. Chat. But uh, I still love seeing them. We've we've taken to just playing fun games. You know, we jackbox a little bit. Um, you can play one of my favorite games online. My wife and her friends have been playing it. I'm literally blanking on the name. Give is, me two is seconds. Is it Scribble? No, no, no. It's we, the, we did on it's, it won Game of the Year a few years ago. It's where, like, you say a word, and they have to guess the word on the board. You have to push it. It's uh, code names. Oh, yeah. Can we do that online? Yes. We like I've I've brought code names to in person reunions and we played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing that we've done. Yeah, you can do a digital one because uh, I had to come sit. It was funny. She was playing with like her friends, like her her deaf group of friends, and I was doing something that night. I forgot what, but she asked. She was like, "Can you come in and explain the game?" And then like I'll I'll, I'll sign the the rules or but you just explain it better. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." So I you know sat down and explained the rules to everybody real quick. You know, um, yeah, code names for anyone who hasn't played. Random random thing side aside here. If you were at all into any kind of board game thing party game anything it's it bridges all ages bridges all gaps it's amazing it's a lot of fun the replayability is awesome it's also very cheap and very small like you could just put all of it into like a sandwich bag like a yeah, Ziploc bag and bring it somewhere it, it's it is it's great. really good in particular if your group has a mix of yes. experienced gamers and casual gamers because the the rules sometimes can be a little hard to to grok um, because there's a lot of just like d- really try not to communicate anything other than this word, like no table talking, because it, it can ruin the integrity. Which is why I like the idea of even playing online. Um, but the you know it, it, once you play one game, I think it's pretty easy. Like it, you you pick it up pretty quick, uh, and then it becomes really fun. And like whenever you come up with a really good clue, it's super satisfying. You know it can be you know some you can take it seriously if your group wants to. You can take it really casually. Uh, and it really does like mold itself to the group you're playing in. You end up having like in jokes about things, and uh, it's a really really good party game that isn't just mindless. Um, I was gonna say, I've played the game before with you know small groups to large groups, and I played it with a large group of all Magic players and or poker players. And generally, I despise playing games of large groups of people that are just predominantly magic slash poker players like i like it's the main reason i hate werewolf you know the game werewolf or mafia or whatever i completely dislike that game i so why one or two people are usually just so loud they control the game and it's very annoying and b when it's just a bunch of magic and poker players like it's not fun right but with code names i was like this was actually awesome because it's a lot of people and this is this part of it's fun and you, it can be fun otherwise but everyone's kind of on the same wavelength so you get to like really go in depth with your your words you know your coat your yeah. your clues that you're giving out but then it's actually fun to play with people i really enjoy playing with people who i don't know very well you know they're like they're you know acquaintances or friends that you see at like gatherings right it's like an added layer yeah you're like what would they be thinking you know like that's that when you have to start trying to get in their head that's the like the real fun part i think one of my favorite times playing code names i was playing it in roanoke and it was it was with Corey Baumeister and Brad. There was and this group of magic players playing, and there was a point where uh, it was one of Brad or Corey giving the clues, and the other one 
just like pointed to a word that didn't make sense. And I was like, why, why in the world are you pointing to this? And they, they're just like, because I know my brother and he probably just misread it as this one, which makes perfect sense. And he was just right. <laughs> like, and like, I, I was just mind blown that they recognized that like their brother had just misread the word. <laughs> And, and like we guessed it and they were like yep you were exactly right i misread it <laughs> it's just like I, I know that's not what he meant but you're like you just pick some you're like i think it's this answer like that makes no sense you're like yeah but they're an idiot so <laughs> <laughs> oh man i miss hanging out with people or us <laughs> that's where that that's where that i got from this whole conversation by the way well now we're hanging out with 102 people watching live thanks everybody for showing up I think we've now we're now twenty three minutes behind schedule, so we should probably get into it. Sure. Do you want to start with uh, us kind of reviewing the last one that we did? I guess we could do that if people are interested in it. Yeah, because like know? I think it's cool to go back and take a look. Like I actually really enjoyed that for you know I'm a big sports fan. Every year when like especially for the sports I'm really into, like say baseball, where they um, check their predictions from the year before. You know, like. Like, a real fun one a lot of people had this year was uh, at the Super Bowl, they were, like, taking people's predictions of what the 49ers were going to do this year. And most people had them at, like, 3-13 and 13 or, like, 4-12. and 12. You're like, actually, yeah. they were just, like, the best team in the NFL this year. You know, so. <laughs> Hammer Hill is saying, but my schedule, this totally counts as the show. Yeah, someone's like, isn't it just the normal intro to the yeah. show? <laughs> like, yeah, that is, that is on schedule for us. So, uh, I've got our, our two lists from the Aquaria set review show. And uh, I'm gonna say this. Uh, I'm just gonna say this. I, I think there's a clear winner. If we if we we'll, had to have, we'll a let winner chat here. decide. Okay, we'll, we'll let chat decide. But I think there's a very unclear clear... at this point. You don't even know what the lists are, Tannen. There's a correct answer. Anyway, continue. Okay, so my number eight was Mythos of Nethroi. I think we both missed on this one pretty hard. This but... saw this saw some sideboard play in the Absent Rally deck while that was a you know contender, but Absent Rally was kind of a flash in the pan. Because it's not particularly resilient to graveyard hate. And that's about all it's done. But, you know, for a number eight, not bad. Yeah. Tannin's number eight was the Triome Cycle, which, you know, has seen play. You know, especially, I think one of the biggest things that we didn't really, I guess, necessarily point out explicitly was in the Yorian decks, once you have to go, like, add all these lands, the Triomes are really nice because you add this variance when you have this higher land count. So you're going to cycle them more often, and you just need more more different dual lands or tri, or tri lands, you know, as the Jeskai you know Luka Yorian decks came to want. In addition to seeing some play in the in the Niv Mizzet decks, so that's definitely a big hit. We'll give you that one. My number seven is Wilt, which has seen sideboard play. It's become a sideboard staple in the uh, Lotus Breach decks, not in high as high numbers as I expected. Um, and you'd have to talk to Caleb Shearer about that. Yeah, it's even made some main decks in standard. I don't know if you've seen yeah, that recently. Yeah, standard. You know, yeah, it's it's going nuts. Um, it is a card that was on my honorary mentions too. I thought, I thought. It was yeah, yeah. Good. You you want it, you you sort of lumped all those cheap cyclers in together. Yeah. Uh, so Wilt, pretty good. Uh, your number seven, Luminous Broodmoth. This one's a miss. Kind of a miss. And yeah. This is a card that I was crushing Corey with in standard during previous season on Versus Live, and just. Just hasn't, you know, done anything since then, unfortunately. We might need to revisit this one in a few months when there's a rotation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I'm This this is a card I'm still keeping in the back of my mind. Uh, number six for me and for you, so this is where we agreed, is General Kudro of Draneth. Uh, hasn't seen a ton of play, but actually, if you... Right at the end of the time where before the companion nerf, 
there was this mo nearly mono-white splashing black humans deck um, that w was doing kind of well, I think a top four to challenge. And it is sat on the fringes post Luris uh, nerf and it's playing three general Kudro mate. We also see it in modern in modern humans. So, you know, this is kind of medium for both of us, I would say. At number six. Uh, number five for me is C Dash or Octopus. This one's just a brick. I know yeah. Cedric Phillips was playing a weird mono blue tempo deck for a little bit. I think Tommy Ashton might have top aided some challenge with it at some point, but C Dash or Octopus, I think, has been kind of the most overhyped card from the set, to be honest. The, the tempo decks that it goes in just haven't been good. And then your number five, Yorian Sky Nomad. I'm going to count this as a miss because you put it so low. Well, what does it mean when you didn't even have it on your list? Uh, well, if I, then we don't have to mention it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone realized how good this was going to be besides maybe, like, I think Sam Black was, like... A, a, like yeah, he, he was the one who was really big I on thought it, it was going to be good. I really did. Yeah, you definitely hit. And I was actually skeptical. I was very skeptical. So that was a, a big brick for me. Uh, big hit for Tannen here on Yorian. My number four is the Ozolith. Uh which I actually misspelled on mine. Didn't notice that. I think we need to come back to this one later, too. Yeah, it's, it's actually your number two, spoiler alert. Uh, in both cases, like, you see this pop up in the scales decks, but it's not a major player because they just don't have a sack outlet. It's just rough to play this card without a sack outlet, and I think that's borne out. Uh, so not great for either, really. Number three on both lists, Heartless Act. I think underperformed for sure. Uh, it, we've seen it in some of the black aggro decks, which are now popping back up post companion nerf, uh, but haven't really seen a ton of it. And it hasn't made a significant, um, hasn't really made a significant impact to be honest. So, you know, uh, it's still a, a card that has made some impact, but for number three, not great. Uh, number two, I mentioned you had the Ozolith. For me, it was Kinnon Bonder Prodigy, a card I thought would be quite good, has basically seen no play. So, big brick, and then we both hit here with number one for Luris. So, you can give us credit there. Chat, that's our recap from the Ikoria set review show. I guess y'all can, uh, can we put a poll in the chat? I don't even know how to do that Yeah, I think one of the mods probably knows how to do it. I, I, uh, uh, yeah, if, if, I don't know. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna campaign for this for one second. Yeah, I, I agree with Draven that I won, because I'm just gonna let you know that one of the lists did not have Yorin on it, and one of them had Yorian on it, so that, that's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, and and no Wynodot either. That's a card that's popping up. Oh yeah, up. we definitely missed Wyona like quite a bit. We didn't even have it like as an honorary mention. We just straight missed that card. That happens. Yeah, hateful Eidolon. Um, yeah. So Tannins on we had overrated and underrated as well during that show. Uh, Tannins. Uh, both of our overrateds were Fiend Artisan, which I think was an overrated card, even though it saw play in Abzan Rally. Um. And then underrated, as I mentioned earlier, Tannen had that, you know, just lumped all the cheap cyclers in together. Like neutralize, and, will, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, have seen play, so big big props there. And then my underrated was Fight is One, as you said, which, has again, has seen play. Hmm. So, overall, not bad. Yeah, I think overall uh, yeah, we did really well, the, actually. The deciding factor is, you know, your list had Yori and mine didn't. So we'll, we'll give this one to Tannen. We'll talk that one up. So, I think it's time to get into our lists so this is our core set 2021 pioneer set review uh i guess you're on top so we should probably start with you number eight on your list is oof, 
I remembered my hotkey correctly. I'm proud of myself. Did you? Yeah, I'm very proud of you. I would not have gotten this correct. <laughs> I didn't remember the card you had. I just remember the hotkey to bring it up. Instead I think of bringing I have some, most of this written down over here. I think I've messed some of it up. But uh, for number for number eight for me is See the Truth. For everybody at home, it's one in a blue sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand and the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. If the spell was cast from anywhere other than your hand, put each of those cards into your hand instead. Um, so for me, the reason I have this at eight is depending on how things play out and, and things are... If we had Snapcaster Mage, I think this would be much, much higher on my list. We do have Jace Vrin's Prodigy. We have Jace Vrin's Prodigy. Um, we have... Uh, what is, uh, what's the red card for Finale Phoenix? Promise. Finale Promise. We have a Dragon few ways Darkness. to do it, right? Yeah, there's there, there are ways... We have the technology, Ross. Light up the like, stage. We, yeah. We have, we have the technology of mission, mission briefing. briefing. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to do this. You have to go through some hoops to make this card very good. So that is kind of a, a check in the other box for this card of it not being great on its own. Because on its own, this is kind of an expensive card. It's Sorcery Anticipate. It's Sorcery Anticipate, which is not good enough. Exactly. And, yeah, very much not good enough. Yeah. But every other form of this card is very good. So uh, it's going to make my list at number eight. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. This is the exact kind of card that I always want to be good, but never is. So like I want to put this card on my list, and I've tr I tried it on Versus and Standard with Finale, and it's just not what Magic is about in 2020, right? Like, jumping through hoops to draw a couple extra cards, you just don't have to do that anymore. The cards are powerful enough that their effects are worth a couple extra cards. Yeah, we would have done this, we would have gone crazy for this, what, five years ago? Ten years ago, something yeah. like that. Uh, depending upon what you had to go with it, obviously. I can see this showing up as like a one or two of in something like Lotus Breach or whatever, if like they deem it necessary kind of thing. You know what I mean? I, I'm i I'm still going to try it. And I actually, I wrote an article about this card. That's how much I like it. I'm skeptical of it still, uh, but I, I want to try it. I think Jace, Vrin's Prodigy, is clearly the best enabler because not only does it cast it from the graveyard, it also lets you loot it away. And I think that's an underrated part of making this card work is getting... Sort of skipping that step one of casting this bad yeah, anticipate. Not having to cast it, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to do that. It's like you, you, it's like the difference between casting Uro and milling into it with Seder Wayfinder, right? You love when you hit it with Seder Wayfinder. Not just because it's free, but because you don't have to spend that three mana, mediocre, like, Gift of Paradise Explorer hybrid card. Uh, and being able to just loot it away with a Jace not do other more efficient things with your early turns and then cast it later to gas back up for three cards is really appealing to me. So it underperformed for me in standard, but I do think it works incredibly well with Jace Room's Prodigy, and that's what gives me some hope for it. What's your number eight? What is my number eight? Honestly, I don't even remember. Bastard <laughs> uh, Cat. So um, this card... I think it's pretty clear that it wants to be in a very aggressive shell. Uh, in particular, because the most powerful part of it is that minus two. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, technically the most powerful is the minus six. That's true of all Planeswalkers, but powerful for the cost is that minus two. So you really want to curve into it. And uh, if you're going to maximize that, you, like, you need a super low curve. You really want to be on a triple one drop draw. And if you're on that kind of draw, you consistently you need a huge number of one drops and that points me more towards larger formats like pioneer as opposed to standard though i do think the card has potential in standard as well and here 
you know, there's already kind of a white weenie deck that's on the fringe that I think can use this deck, this card pretty well. Uh, and it, the fact that it lets these decks goldfish really, really well and sort of force a sweeper from the opponent. There's not a lot of cheap sweepers right now. You know, post fires of the companion nerf, the fires decks aren't really seeing play in Pioneer anymore. So no, no real deafening clarions. I don't think the inverter decks are sideboarding cry the Carnarium anymore because Absent Rally isn't really anywhere. So I think there is a window right now in Pioneer to be this low to the curve, low to the ground, low curve aggro deck. And Bastard Cat fits really, really well into that style because, uh, uh, you know, just obviously fits really well into that style. Uh, Shoddy Assax, is it better to curve into this or Benelish Marshall or Glory Anthem? I would say Benelish Marshall is probably a little bit better, uh, but you would you want to play both. You have room for two different three drops. I think this is better than Glorious Anthem. Agreed. Uh, but I do think it is quite good in those decks. It's narrow in its application, though we will see a card coming up later on both our lists, actually, that this card goes really well with. Uh, so it might have multiple applications. But it, I think it's just an efficient three-mana aggressive Planeswalker, and we really haven't seen one of those in quite a while. Um, and it... I'm excited to see how it can push different aggressive decks because I expected us to have white aggro decks in Pioneer from the beginning, whether they were humans or vehicles-based. Uh, you know, I expected one or both of those to be viable, and they really haven't. Right now, we've gotten to the point where humans is on the on the fringe, and this is the kind of card that can push that deck over the top. So I agree with everything you said, and that's why this is actually my number seven, right? Ooh, good segue, good segue. Yeah, this is, this is my number seven um, card. I don't want to reveal your next set, so I'm going to take this second to check out my hotkeys and make sure I have them right. Yeah, and so <laughs> I'm just a big fan of this. Let me actually read off real quick what this does for everybody at home. It's one white-white for a Planeswalker with three loyalty. Plus one, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to uh, one target creature. It gains indestructible until the turn, which I actually missed the first time I read it. Uh, minus two. Whenever one or more non-token creatures attacks this turn, create that many 1-1 one, one white soldier creature tokens that are tapped and attacking. And then its ultimate is minus six. You get an emblem. At the beginning of your combat on your turn, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token. Then put a plus one plus one on each creature you control. Um, you hit everything that I wanted to say with this in the fact that I, I can't stress enough how good this card is at three mana. You know, generally we see this on like four-ish mana Planeswalkers, and three is kind of the sweet spot for this being good. If it was four, I think it would be almost unplayable. And honestly, I didn't even bring up that. That ultimate is really, really powerful. Yes. That's a game-ending ultimate in, in most spots. It kind of harkens back to um, Lily of the Last Hope, like something that is continuously creating threats and doing something to help that out. I, I think the one last thing I have to say about this card is that it's easy to underestimate that plus one ability. Like, it feels like, oh, I'm getting one damage of haste in, right? And, you know, a little bit better than that. But you actually often get in more. Because sometimes, and this happens a lot, actually, you get to target a creature that otherwise wouldn't be able to attack. You know, you target a creature that's a 1-1 one -one because they have a 2-2, two -two, and suddenly their creature can't attack. Maybe that lets you pressure a Planeswalker that you wouldn't otherwise be able to pressure. So maybe you either force the Planeswalker to die or a Chump Blocker. You know, maybe you're putting counters on a Legion's Landing token and you're getting extra life against a red deck. You know, there's so much extra value that goes along with that plus one ability. Uh, and that value for an aggressive deck, making combat really easy for you and actually making your opponent think about it. Like, am I safe to just deploy a blocker here instead of maybe using a removal spell? Because if you have Bastry and I can't block, that's bad for me. Maybe they use a removal spell prematurely 
then you know whether or not you have Vassar, you have the option of either you know casting it if you have it, or just casting more creatures if the player removal spells. So, you know that 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 value from the plus one is really important. Though I do still think that minus two is the most valuable. It really is going to force a sweeper immediately in most cases when there aren't a lot of sweepers right now in Pioneer. Exactly. Got any more tannin? No, I mean you kind of crushed it talking about this one. Yeah, that's what I do. I talk for a living. Yeah, yeah. I I honestly can't believe that I get paid to just talk about things that I know and care about. Like, how did that happen? Because I love talking. Everybody who knows me knows that. So, my number seven, which should be this hotkey, perfect. Garrick Unleashed. Speaking of the value from Bassery's plus one ability, Garrick's, I think, has a similar dynamic. uh, And it's very easy to overrate. Or underrate, sorry. That plus three, plus three, and trample is going to turn attackers that can't attack into attackers that attack really well very easily. This is a card that's great at pressuring Planeswalkers. You just need one creature in play, really. It's great at closing out games in green decks that often don't have a lot of reach. And I I actually wrote about this card this week in my article on Star City Games. And I love the dichotomy between its plus one and its minus two. Because the plus one is good when you're ahead and you're just trying to close out the game. And the minus two is good when your opponent has interacted with you and you need to grind a little bit of value and recoup and, you know, create that second wave of threats. And the fact that it gets to do both and you get to pick which one you need to do based on how the game's developed or how your draw is developed is really, really valuable. It creates a situation where it's always going to be good no matter what your opponent's doing. It doesn't depend on the game playing out in a certain way in order to be effective. And that's the sign of a good card, especially in 2020. I've been harping on this in my writing a lot. I haven't written like a specific article on it, but I I keep bringing it up over and over again in different articles that versatility is just so important now because the cards are really powerful. And if you're just doing one thing, it's super easy for your opponent to just prepare for you. You know, sometimes you can catch them off guard or they stumble and your linear deck will take them by surprise, but you really need to be able to, to juke at least, you know, if not in sideboarding, in your main deck. And Garrick allows aggro decks to do that. Now, uh, you know, we, we've we seen... I think we saw Gruel aggro a little bit way back in the day when Once Upon a Time was still legal because it gave that deck that level of consistency. Uh, but this is a card that can up those kinds of decks' power level because I think it particularly goes well when you're pumping Legion Warboss and Goblin Rabblemaster. So that curve of, you know, elf into Goblin that makes tokens, into Garrick, make sure my Goblin can attack, I think is really, really powerful. But also in just like mono green aggro decks, you can pump Sir Farron. That's a standard legal thing you can do. Yeah, I was actually about to bring up exactly that because when I think of this card in Pioneer, I think of like, where does it fit, right? Like what deck wants this? And like, maybe there is a mono green stoppy deck with like all the elves, um, you know, Sir Farron, the Hedgehammer? I think is the name of it. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. Yeah, wow, I'm impressed. Steel Leaf Champion. I, the only reason I know this is because uh, Shavim Malswitz has been playing a mono green deck in standard, and I actually kind of liked it. Um, you know, and this this gives you another card to where you don't have to play exactly like Giant Growth in your deck if you don't want to, or Titanic Growth or whatever it's called. Oh yeah, as no, well. I, I, when I wrote about this card, it was primarily in standard, but I do think like I played with it today on Versus, and I was impressed enough with it that I think it's going to be good in Pioneer too. Um, and yeah, this is something Ross brought up. Someone in the chat's talking about curving Regisaur in, into this. This is another thing that could that could possibly yeah. be very well, good. Stompy has been a deck in Pioneer. Mm-hmm. That's just a, yeah. a proven strategy. And yeah, you're, you're right, Chadius. Mm-hmm. Riding Regisaur, 
great recipient of the plus one ability. And uh, every time I think about this, because uh, if I remember, I do not have this card on my list, though it came very close to making it, is I always try to figure out where to fit it. And I think something like Green Black Stompy is a deck that I could see it possibly making an appearance in because it does make a lot of your threats just over the top, like must answer or you die type things. You know, you can't put like, the, you know, you can't chump block anymore on some of this stuff or you can't just, you know, put something in the way type stuff and curving, you know, uh, any one of the elves into a big three drop into this is just very, very good and very hard for your opponent to deal with because if they have dealt with the creatures, then this obviously is a, a full threat in and of itself. You get to like make a three, three and the next turn you're possibly just attacking for six again. So, uh, this, this card does kill your opponent very fast. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. The reason I left it off my list is because, you know, where does it fit? And we'll see if that deck makes a comeback. Yeah, I mean, in, honestly, when you have Elvish Mystic and Llanowar Elves in Pioneer, I, I think it's going to fit pretty well. And uh, Frank brings up a good point. And I think that versatility from Garrick compares favorably to Vivian, Arpa Ranger, which is more narrow. And you think, like, Vivian lets you either, you know, pump your creatures. I think that Vivian's ability is pretty similar to Garrick. To be honest, in terms of power level, a little bit less explosive, but the it's possible some counters, so there's some staying power there. The minus three on Vivian though is like kill a creature if I have something in play. Whereas the Garrick is going to be good by itself. Vivian is never just good by itself. So it's not a standalone threat. It always needs help. Uh, and that's a mark in terms of versatility against Vivian. Whereas Garrick and and that's super important. Because you know the the removal is pretty efficient in Pioneer. Uh, people are, you know, dealing with your stuff. The one, the advantage that Vivian has is that it provides a third pip of devotion. And I think in the more ramp style devotion decks, like, you know, the Karn deck that Aspiring Spike has championed, I do think Vivian is still a little bit better in that deck because you're more of a ramp deck than an aggro deck. But if you're playing aggressive, I think this card is better. Uh, the, the mana costs come down to it too, as well, right? You get the extra pip of devotion for the green deck, while this one's easier to cast if you're playing a deck that could possibly have the card Swamp in it, you know? Swamp, or, yeah, or a mountain, you know, any, any second color. Yeah, good point, good point. Okay, next up for Tannen number six. Ooh, Silver Smote Ghoul. This is less a U card and more a me card, Tannen. Yeah, so this is a card that it kind of harkens back to some of my early days of playing competitive magic and makes me think of the card Undead Gladiator for anyone at home that's also old like me and played back then. And this is probably one of the like the least safe bets on my list. Um, for everybody at home, this is two and a black for a 3-1. So says at the beginning of your instep, uh, you'll see that theme in this set. There's a lot of things that trigger at, the, at your instep. But at the beginning of your instep, if you gain three or more life this turn, return silver... Silver Moat Ghoul. Silver Smote. Silver Smote. There's an S there. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Silver Smote Ghoul from the graveyard to the battlefield tapped. And you can pay one of the black. You can sacrifice it and draw a card. So um, we've seen the dredge deck be a thing. You know, we call it dredgeless dredge or whatever. We've seen the dredge deck be a thing before. Um, I could see this card maybe making a slight impact in a couple other formats. If this card cost two mana to cast, I think this card would be like a slam dunk and very good. At three mana, I think it's going to be the way the thing that holds it back. But I could see a deck like if you play one of the decks that has, you know, like we saw the what the Sultai Dredge deck, whatever you want to call it, the deck that you lost in the finals of that classic with. If we see that deck make any kind of comeback or a deck that does this kind of thing, you're not really going to be casting this card from your your hand too much, and at least not if, trying not to. <laughs> right. 
the hardest part for me is you can see the potential of this card. This card is potentially powerful. The hardest part for me is triggering it, right? Like gaining three life because like there's not a lot of good ways to do that. And that's the one thing that like I waffled back and forth on putting this on my list or not. But I wanted to go high variance on one of my cards and this one's it. Yeah. So there is a, there's one really easy, you know, obvious trigger or card to, that pairs here. Uh, creeping chill? Yeah. Uh, someone yeah. in the chat gave another one, uh, Soren Impetu- uh, Imperious Bloodlord as well. That's a nice one, and this is this is a zombie vampire. So you got the vampire. Maybe you can do something with vampires and graveyard shenanigans. Um, yeah, I would have to look into that. That's not something I've thought about, but that's a that's a really good idea, Halfling scene, because Soren Imperious Bloodlord is a super powerful card when it's properly enabled. Someone also mentioned food. That's actually a, yeah, a yeah. good point. As no, well. it goes well with food. I I, I tried a a deck today in standard with this card and creeping chill and some graveyard enablers. Timurit calls the dead binding of the, t- of the Titans. Um, if y'all watch today's show. Uh, and I, I thought about trying to include a food engine in we- as well in part, just because sacking the food can trigger this, but also because I had Meyer Triton as the third graveyard enabler. And so I was trying to come up with ways to gain one life so I could double up with Meyer Triton and Calder familiar is the obvious one there. Uh, but it just didn't, it, it was too hard to fit the entire food engine and the entire graveyard engine and all the payoffs that I wanted. So I had to go with one or the other, but maybe you can, you could make something work there. I'm, I'm with you here. This is a card to me that it, it might not see play right away. And so if, if when we come back for the next set review show and, uh, you know, Silver Smoke Ghoul hasn't done anything and I get to laugh at you, you know, points me. But five years down the road, when we're no longer doing this and nobody knows anything, you can take solace in the fact that it eventually became good because they printed yeah. some card that enables it easily. When we have the new Pioneer and then this, it's 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 modern now and it's in that <laughs> yeah. format, yeah. Uh, so that that's what I that's kind of what I envisioned for this card in the, the sort of realistic front brain uh, thoughts. But my my you know animal brain in the back is like this card is awesome. I hope this card is great. This is definitely a Ross Merriam card. All right. Okay. Number six for me is going to be a reprint. This is the first reprint that's appearing on our list. Note that uh, we are not including any cards from Corset 2021 that are already legal in Pioneer. So no scavenging uses, things like that. But Rune Halo is a new card to the format. So let's get that one up on the list. Number six for me. And... Not only a card that, you know, the fact that this card has seen play in Modern is a pretty big indicator that it meets the power level um, barrier to see play in Pioneer as well. Yeah. Correct, Bidex Boy. No Ugin. That one's already legal. We don't need to talk about that one. So the the fact that Rude Halo is, you know, already sees play in a, in a larger format means that, you know, there's potential here. And then second, I've got to say, you know, we have a mono-white devotion deck that exists and is good. And right now, that mono-white devotion deck is playing a bunch of crappy creatures at the bottom. And yeah, like it, it kind of wants to do that so it can have this aggro beatdown plan. But there are plenty of matchups where those creatures are bad. Or, you know, you won the die roll, so Knight of the White Orchid is bad. And maybe you'd rather have something that you know has more impact than a 2-2 first striker. Rune Halo does that, you know. I, I get it. It doesn't really do anything against Inverter. And right now, Inverter is really popular. So right now, this isn't a card I would main deck. But it is very good, you know, against more aggressive strategies, especially linear ones. 
any deck that's trying to play like pump spells, like this would be great against heroic. L low threat density trying to make one big threat. And it is also particularly good with Yorian. And even with the, the nerf, Yorian sees some play. So you can, you know, Rude Halo, name whatever is really problematic, whatever your opponent is playing early, uh, and, you know, stop that by time. And then later in the game, once that early creature that Rude Halo has, st has stifled is trumped by other creatures that you have on the battlefield or got removed by a sweeper, you know, whatever, you can cast your Yorian, blink the Rune Halo, and then name whatever matters at that moment. And that actually helps to mitigate one of the issues of this card is that, you know, it's a card that is very good at the time you cast it. It's always going to do something, but it often becomes bad as the game goes on. And so being able to reset it is really nice. Yorian's a powerful card that is still seeing play, uh, so I expect Rune Halo to see play beside it. Uh, this is also my number five, I believe, right? Dude, we are really good at the segues. I hope I hope you're right, because I don't remember. I think this is my number five. Oh, wow. Tannen is just on his game today. All right. On and his game. I'm going to kind of piggyback some of the stuff you said. I might have missed a second of it. Sorry, I really need to use the restroom in the middle of that. And the perfect time to do that is when Ross starts talking, because you're given a nice little three or four minute window. Anyway, um, obviously great for any of the white you devotion. You can't say that kind of stuff when I'm taking a drink, Tan. Sorry. Obviously great for the white devotion decks in the format. Um, just another good card for them that's two white devotion pips. You know, big deal there. Um, you talked about something. I think this is good in control decks as well. Um, you know, we talked about this when we saw that this got printed last week. We talked about Yorian, right? Um, super cool thing going on there. You could blink it, rename stuff. That's pretty awesome. And... I'm a big fan of, even though the card doesn't get played much, this interaction with Thought Not Seer. They just, it actually just nerfs both sides of the card. Like, they can't get the card out of your hand, nor can they actually attack you with the card. You don't take damage from either end of it, so it's a cool little interaction that pops up every now and then. Um, great card. It's good enough to be in main decks, which we've seen at times. Uh, it was a pretty big sideboard card in its heyday, but I think we didn't really understand magic as much as we did as we do now then. So. Also, this is the kind of card that gets better in environments where the disparity in power level between cards is high, right? Anytime, you know, the disparity is low, all you want to be doing is trading two for one as much as possible because the cards are worth about the same. When you have environments where certain cards are just worth so much more than others, cards that specifically can target that uh, you know, small subset of really powerful cards are become way more valuable. And that's the way Magic is played, you know, and it has been played the last, you know, four or five years. We have a much higher disparity. You know, but when we think about Magic the way it was played from 1993 uh, until, like, you know, 2005, it was much more the latter, at least once those early, you know, the first couple of years, obviously, like, Alpha and Beta has the most powerful cards ever. But once you get those cards out of there, from, like, 1995 to 2005... Take I out played, block too. I played in some of those years. Yeah, I played in the last few as well. I played in some. But, I played in the early one. <laughs> yeah, but you know, go from like ninety five to two thousand five. Outside of Urza block, like Magic is is often just about you know trading one for one and drawing a bunch of cards. And Rune Halo would be bad in an environment like that. But when you've got to you know stop these really powerful cards, you know, use material to buy time, and you know figure out that interplay between card advantage and tempo. And when the, figuring that out actually matters and making that trade matters, Rude Halo is definitely a card that you're, you're going to want to see. And, you know, in combination with Nykthos, just re really, really strong. Number five for Ross Merriam. We are, we are moving right along. Yeah, we are. We're only like half an hour into actually starting the show. And we're, yeah, almost, we we're about halfway through. 
We'll be all right. We got a lot more to talk about still. It's not just the top eight. Remember, we got the other cards too. Oh yeah, that that is true. So we're we're not quite halfway. My number five here is Demonic Embrace. Um, I have a weird relationship already with this card because I think this is one of the ones that was spoiled before it was previewed. Uh, because I definitely saw it in like a grainy photo, as opposed to you know a, a nice clear image. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, this card seems good. And I was excited to play with it in Versus. But at SCG, you know, we hold off on actually showing any card until it is an official preview from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, and I just hadn't seen this image. And now I finally done. I, I think I saw it actually later than it became officially previewed. So I wish I had played this card probably today on, on Versus because I've been itching to play with it. I think this card is really good. Um, you know... And in Pioneer, especially, we already have a mono black aggro deck. And the the three slot kind of varies. Sometimes you see Riding Regisaur, sometimes you see Spawn of Mayhem. You know, you already have Murderous Rider. I think this card is the best three drop. It is a, effectively a three mana three through haste. But I'll go back to the same thing I said when we talked about Garrick and Bassery. Like sometimes that 2 1 that you had, it wasn't attacking because your opponent has Thaha's Oracle, your opponent has an 0 4 wall from Birth of Miletus. You know, now it is attacking. Now, Demonic Embrace, awkward against Teferi and Gideon of the Trials. In particular, Gideon. You know, at least against Teferi, you can recast the Demonic Embrace. You have some options. Against Gideon of the Trials, it's just locked down and sitting there. Uh, so Gideon, I think, is the big uh, negative, big downside for Demonic Embrace. But honestly, like, most of the time, they're slamming Gideon early to prevent your aggression. And this is a really good card at attacking the Gideon down. You know, when they go, like, turn two, Birth of Miletus, turn three, Gideon, you know, plus on one of your creatures, you have maybe one or two others. Then you get to Demonic Embrace, one of the others, attack the Gideon down immediately, and you're looking pretty good. This is another card that plays really well with Rod and Regisaur, if you want to go a little bit bigger. You know, maybe you just cut Rankle entirely and go even lower curve. And in Mono Black Aggro in Pioneer, that uh, additional cost of discarding a card is well mitigated when you're discarding... You know, all these recursive threats. Bloodsoak Champion, Scrappy Scrounger, Gutter Bones, or um, what's the zombie that people recur? They usually play that one instead of Gutter Bones, but um, whatever that one is. You have to have one card in hand. You pay three mana and return it to the battlefield. Tapped. Yeah, I don't chat, chat will figure it out for us. Yeah. But, you know, discard any one of those cards and return it. You basically haven't, you know, lost a card. So uh, I'm Dread Wanderer. There we go. Thanks, Adam Jutek. Uh, Demonic Embrace, I think, just slots so perfectly well into that deck and is powerful enough that I could see it in other decks as well uh, as they, you know, turn up. I, I just think this is such a such a good aggressive card, and I'm really excited to play with it. Um, the, the thing that kind of grasps me about this card and makes me realize why it's good, all the reasons you said, obviously, right? Like, it doesn't feel like card disadvantage when you have to, like, you know, yeah, there's... A, so everybody at home, it's an enchant creature for one black black. Enchant creature gets plus three plus one, has flying, and is a demon. Um, you can cast this card from your graveyard by paying three life and discarding a card, and discarding a card in addition to paying its other cost. So paying its you know mana cost. Trying to discard this card. Let's be real. You're a black deck. There's a lot of ways to mitigate this damage. Like yeah, you might discard land or something sometimes, but. Most of the time, you're not going to be losing anything of value to cast this card. And if you have to do that, either you're so far behind that you have to make a Hail Mary play, or it's killing your opponent so it doesn't matter kind of thing, right? Um, 
I am a big, big fan of this card because it's one of the cards when I look at it, the way that I used to play Magic, right? And the, the decks that I used to always gravitate towards and still do sometimes, but always gravitate toward, towards them in the past. I'd look at this card. And I'm like, I am going to die to this card so often. This card <laughs> is going to kill me. Yeah, this is 100% the, the anti-Tannin card. Yeah, and you've heard me say this about cards like Curious Obsession before. But you've also seen me play those cards and do, you know, pretty well with them and had a lot of success because I'm just like, damn it, I just want to play the good cards. You know, like, I just want to kill my opponent. You know, I want to be the one asking questions and not having to have answers and stuff. And I, you've probably heard me say this, if I had to play a deck in, in Pioneer, like, you know, you have one deck to play, it would be Mono Black Aggro. It's my favorite deck in the format um, from start to finish. It's, it's been my favorite deck the whole time. I really like, I, I own the whole thing. I like it all. And I'm going to find myself getting Demonic Embraces as quickly as possible because I think the card is very good and it's going to be good in that deck. Yeah. And uh, there's a couple of comments here from our chat that I wanted to bring up here. Uh, first from Halfling Scene says, slap it in that Vampire's deck as something else to pitch Silver Smoke with. And if you put this on a Lifelinker, you know, and then you just get the Silver Smoke back, now not only have you not lost any value, you've gained even <laughs> in terms of card advantage, but you're way ahead on tempo. Because you've generated a 3-1 body for zero mana. I yeah. don't know what lifelinkers are to put this on. Murderous murder. That's some big brain stuff. I'm in. And then a really good point that I want to talk about from Hateful Eidolon. Asking about the potential for this card in Orzhov Auras. And this is, I will say, not a card you want in Orzhov Auras. Because that deck is particularly concerned with the efficiency of its cards. You know, it, it wants to be playing one and two, ones and twos, even if Lyris isn't involved. Because of SRAM, just drawing extra cards, you want to just cast as many as possible. Because of flooding the battlefield, so your ethereal armors and all the glitters are as powerful as possible. So this is definitely worse than Griff's Boon in that kind of deck. This is meant for a more traditional aggro deck. Less of a synergy-driven deck. You know, unless you're you're developing some, some small synergies with that discard. Uh, but those aren't, you know, central to your deck. Whereas in Orzhov Auras, the aura synergies are the central aspect of the deck. In the primary aspect, uh, and uh, Demonic Embrace doesn't really fit there because it costs three mana. It's just way above what that deck's curve wants. But somehow getting some graveyard and discard synergies in with a card like this in an aggro deck, I can see doing that. That's kind of like a sub-theme that you would develop and utilize with cards that are powerful by themselves, but can become extra powerful uh, when you, you know, Demonic Embrace them. And they're, yeah, Gifted Aetherborn, Zygroth brings it up. That's already a lifelinker that Vampire's plays. Yep, loving everything about this card. Um, in fact, the, the more that we talk about Ruined Halo in this card, I think it would, maybe we just have them rated too low, honestly. Like, just the more we talk about it. But go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I'm... Chat's much smarter than we are. So your number four is, once once again, you're you're following yep. me. Yeah. That's, yep. what, that's what happened. Because my number four is also Demonic Embrace. And like I said, I think I may have had it too low. Honestly, this might be one of the cards that we see is even better. So it's it, yeah, I get it, chat. We y'all get a little bit of a spoiler, but we're actually just gonna move right into the next card anyway because we've talked a lot about them on like embrace already. There's not much I'm more I can switch say. Switch up the hot keys that I use because I keep accidentally hitting them because I use too common of keys. I gotta use like weird like F row keys for sure. all of my hot keys so that sure. I don't accidentally hit them. As long as you, as long as it's just you that's doing it, not me. I don't care what you do. Yeah, I it's definitely all that. my fault. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah, I don't want to have to do any of the work. I just want to be pretty and be on camera. All right. The good news is I think we we have talked all we need to talk to about Demonic Embrace. So we can just move right along. So it's not much of a spoiler. Yeah, I don't... Oh, yeah, because I'm in here trying to navigate my cursor. And it even if uh, even if my cursor is, like, in a different program, it still detects the hotkey. 
Okay. I, fi I figured it out. Master Me Pancake saying we I need it as a, I don't think I need it as a single slideshow. I just need to change the hockeys. Don't make it easier for Ross. He's he just let him do it his complicated, convoluted way and mess up. My way is not particularly complicated. And it's not the it's not the setup of what I've done that is screwing up. It's the execution of it. All right, so as well say this that this is a if, minor not, issue, Tanner. If you if you find something that's not complicated, but you constantly mess up using it or doing something with it, what does it say about the operator? Yeah, I'm saying it's my fault. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Anyway, so my number four here is Conclave Mentor. I'm gonna uh, read this one for everybody. Green and a white for a two two. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on a creature you control. That many plus one, plus one, plus one counters are put on that creature instead. And then when Conclave Mentor dies, you gain life equal to its power. So clear, you know, uh, comparison to Winding Constructor and Harden Scales. <laughs> Anderson saying, Tannen is very good at his job of just looking good on camera. He's, he's definitely very good at his job. Uh, and, you know, I've got to say, former BCW teammate, uh, Brandon DeCandio, also very good at his job of just looking good. See, at least Tannen's job is even more specific. Uh, quick tangent here. So, current BCW member, Shaheen Sarani, uh, plays a lot of Warzone with me. And the current, B you know, Team BCW iteration came up versus the old one. And we were talking about, you know, each team's strength versus weakness. He's like, I think the team overall is probably better now. I'm like, yeah, I I'm not going to argue that. The skill level is probably a little bit higher, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. he, he kept saying, you know, thing after thing after thing of like, you know, feather in your cap of the current team, right? And so I was like, you're also much older, though. And he's like, yeah, that's true. The team is much older. I was like, it's not, I was like, it's kind of funny that you removed Jim Davis and me from the team and you somehow got older or whatever. And he's like, yeah. But y'all were much better looking. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to argue that anymore. You <laughs> I'm not going to argue anymore. I'm, I'm not sure if our team got significantly older. It, it probably didn't. But yeah, uh, I think Brennan is younger than like or around the same age as some of the additions. But then you added you added Ely and Shaheen, who are both yeah. older than me. So, But I think I think Dar of, of all the people oh, who've Darryl's ever been on TBCW, probably. I think Daryl is the youngest. That's true. All right, probably just evens out, whatever. It comes close, but I do think it still got older. And just getting older by any margin when you remove you and Jim is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. So I was I was happy to feat. not be the oldest player on the team. Jim has me by about like eight months or something like that. Yeah. And that like if you rejoined, you would be like the third oldest <laughs> member of the team. Yeah. I mean Shaheen and Ely are just actual grandparents, so Yeah. So uh you know it, it's it's very nice teaming with people that are older than you. And have their shit together, and I don't ever have to worry about them. That was my favorite part about Team BCW is that it was the most autonomous team that I've ever been a part of. Like, like I didn't have to worry about other people. I didn't have to babysit anyone. It was it was nice. Anyway, yeah, that's that's not in comparison to old BCW teams. Just teams that I worked with before then. Uh, you know, uh, I could you, you could message someone and tell them to do something, and they would respond okay, and you were confident that they would do the thing they said they would. Here I got I got a, I got a good example. One of the um one of the Perthors that I played in, we were in Spain, and we rented out this like apartment for it was like eight or nine of us. Brennan was actually there too. Christian Calcano was there amongst you know some other players. Love these guys. Had a lot of fun. Uh, I was by far like one of if not the most adult person there. Right. And yeah. uh, when you say apartment, it, it's not literally like a little like two or three room apartment. It's like an actual house there. You know what I mean? It's just, it has its own floor of the building. It, that's the apartment. So, you know, we had like four bedrooms or whatever. Anyway, I just remember that 
I was like cooking breakfast every morning and like herding everybody to dinner every night. You know what I mean? I was the one that was like the team dad, yep. you know, kind of thing. So anyway. Do, do you know who the, be- the best team dad I've ever had is? Who's that? It's uh, Gabe Carlton Barnes. I have him? not had the pleasure. So, yeah. So he, uh, I don't know where he's from originally, but l- last I knew, I, I haven't talked to him in a little while. He was splitting time between Portland and New York. And uh, he, he's also up there. I, I bet he, he might have turned 40 since, you know, I've talked to him. But if not, he's very close. Um, and he's played, you know, probably 20 Pro Tours over his life. He's been playing Magic, you know. Yeah, I've heard the name a bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never really on and off. He, he actually, I don't know if you remember, he gave like a talk about Magic that sort of went around the Magic community maybe eight years ago. Um, maybe you saw that. But he, wear, he wears bow ties. Um, yes. Yeah. He's he's like six years older than I am and looks six years younger. So I I think he's old. He's also older than you and looks younger than you. Okay. Which is impressive. Okay. I'm, I'm impressed he looks younger than me because I, I well he, he's always clean shaven and he has a bit of a baby face. Okay. And so so that helps. Uh. So and Gabe is great and uh, you know the one of the the first time I teamed with him was at uh, Pro Tour Battle for Zendikar in milwaukee and the plan was to go to madison the weekend before the week before and play the grand prix because it was always like that grand prix the weekend before the pro tour and then we had a house sort of between madison and milwaukee and it was this like sort of i don't want to say hunting lodge but it was out in the middle of nowhere and it looked like a hunting lodge and it was basically a cabin it's huge we we slept 17 people in this house very comfortably very comfortably. It was gigantic. Uh, and I ended up rooming with him. We met for the first time. I remember I, I walked into the kitchen while like people were talking when we first got there. And I saw a beer in the fridge. And the, the previous Pro Tour, there was literally alcohol that the host had left for us. And so I thought that might have happened again. But I wanted to like check with everybody. So I just brought it out to the room. And I was like, is this anybody's? Or did they leave us something? And Gabe's like, no, that's mine. And it was from New Glarus Brewing, which is in Wisconsin. They make Spotted Cow, which all the Wisconsinites talk about ad infinitum. Spotted Cow is, like, okay. Um, it's, like, better yingling. Um, but he, got he like, went to the brewery a couple days before and, like, got a really nice beer from them. And so we bonded over our love of craft beer. Um, and I, we were two of the people that got tasked with going to get food for the weekend. I was the person who got went to the deli counter. And so I was getting food for, like, four days for 17 people. And I was like, I need like six pounds of ham, seven pounds of turkey, five pounds of this cheese, five pounds of this other cheese. They looked at me like I had seven heads. Uh, it was great. Uh, and since then, you know, Gabe and I have teamed together a few times, but that weekend he was just the best team dad because he, he booked that giant house and did everything to book, book it. Like, you know, told everybody, you know, where they needed to be, when they needed to be there, coordinated all of our communication. Anytime there was like conflict in the house, he was the mediator. You know, he's just the the literal best team dad possible. Uh and is also an awesome dude. So that's my Gabe Carlton Bard story. Love me some GCB. Hopefully I see him again soon. Uh you know what I would love for you to talk about Conclave Mentor a little bit. Oh, is that what we're doing? Is that a thing? Yeah, we were doing something. Okay. So we already said what what's on the card, right? I think we did that. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned the text. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously this is just a, it's another walk, or not walk, what's the winding constrictor? Yeah, walking ballista is a card that it combos with. Yeah, that it combos with. And somebody in the chat actually mentioned that awesome curve, which hadn't really, hadn't 
uh, gone through my head. Yeah. Fabman652. Uh, turn two Conclave Mentor. Turn three Heliod. Turn four Walking Ballista for two. Give it Lifelink. And that's a kill. So this actually enables some turn four kills out of the Ballista Heliod combo, uh, which is really sweet. But even outside of that, I think this card just opens up some possibilities for different kind of scales decks. I don't think you're ever going to see a deck that wants to be Absan and play 12 scales because that's just too many. And it makes your, like, it's, even if, like, 9 or 10 is optimal, it's probably not optimal once you consider the strain on your mana. But maybe, you know, maybe mana gets better over time. I mean, I mean it will, but maybe it gets to a point where it's good enough. But not right now. But the idea of being able to play, like, a green-white scales deck with you know, Venerated Loxodon, Bassery Cat, uh, you know, a ton of other different synergies that just exist in white for plus and plus one counters is really interesting because the, the scales decks as they exist in Pioneer don't do a lot with their black mana. They, they usually sideboard Thoughtseize and removal spells, but you can sideboard removal spells in white. So you sort of give up Thoughtseize for different payoffs. And I bet white gives you more payoffs than black. So I'm interested to see what this card does uh, if it spawns different scales archetypes or better scales archetypes. The one thing I will say relative to, to Winding Constrictor is your mana is much worse. And I hope eventually that gets fixed. I really hate how unequal the mana is across color pairs, particularly between um, friendly and unfriendly pairs in Pioneer. So because you're a friendly pair in Selesnya, your mana is just not great. Maybe that holds Conclave Mentor at bay to a certain extent, but I suspect that white is a more powerful payoff than black by enough to overcome the sacrifice in your mana. Definitely agree with all that. Nothing else? Uh, Crushed we'll it get, again? We'll, we'll, we'll get around to it. Your number three, I have to hit this button. So mine is uh, Conclave Mentor for number three as well. Um, big fan of this card. I think it's going to be really good. Uh, obviously, just to piggyback a little bit on what you said, I think there's a chance an Abzan deck does show up for scales if we do something along those lines. Uh, I saw uh, John Philip Whetstone was actually making some Abzan decks and doing pretty well in the NRG series for a while with those kind of decks. This just gives you, you know, the extra copies of the card if you want it. Um, some people are talking about the two toughness mattering against the red decks, you know, because they have shock effects and making this thing more vulnerable to that. But I think the life gain could actually matter a little bit in those matchups as well. Plus, uh, there's just another way that you could make... Um, scales collected company decks because you just have so many hits now like you know you have so many forms of uh winding instructor that kind of stuff i don't know i just see this card and it immediately jumps out to me as a card that people are going to play in decks scales company seems awkward to me because you also have all these x creatures yeah that's what i'm saying i'm not really sure hits. as soon as i said it i was like that seems kind of wrong no it in modern when you have arcbound ravager maybe there's more to be done there uh but in, in pioneer probably not but uh, I, I sort of looked at that second ability as an afterthought. But yeah, there are definitely like, you know, when you're playing against red decks, I get this is a creature that every deck has to kill because it's enabling all of these really powerful synergies. So when you're playing against aggro decks and they're forced to kill it, you know, you're getting two, maybe more life out of it, but just two is fine. That's going to buy you time because if you're playing a synergistic aggro deck against that straightforward red aggro deck, you're the control in the matchup. Because you're just trying to buy time, you know eventually you're going to get your synergies developed, and you're going to do more powerful things than your opponent. So any little effect that you can get to buy time in those matchups is nice. That said, is it worth dying to Wild Slash, where Wind of Constrictor doesn't? Probably not. 
Yeah, I mean, we're not sure yet, right? We have to see how that works out. It's just, I kind of like the fact that it, this allows you to use, you know, the the white side of the pie here to do this thing because even the card that we previewed earlier in Bassery Ket kind of works with this card just a little bit, right? Like, oh, it works really well. Just yeah, put two and, counters on something. And yeah, yeah, you don't really have that in the green black versions, right? Like, you don't have this planeswalker that also is an aggressive thing that's putting counters on your creatures that are that's good enough for that constructed thing for the constructed format but basket might be so this might lead you into playing green white where like you said the white might be more impressive than the black in the long run yeah can you imagine playing like uh you know turn one white one drop you know playing more of a white centric deck as supposed to green centric and going with white one drop conclave mentor on two basaria on three minus get two tokens Next turn, Venerated Loxodon. Yeah, I mean, they're dead. <laughs> Is that good? Yeah, they're dead. Seems like a good curve to me. Exactly. The splash is a little awkward, but th this is, you know, th this effect is just proven to be powerful. And now we have it in a different color and a color that takes better advantage of it than black does. So there's going to be some interesting things to be done here. I agree with a lot of people in the chat, especially Ghouls 3. Yeah, the mana base is your limiting factor. And I have to assume that eventually these mana bases are going to be equalized. Like we've, we've got to get friendly colored pain lands and friendly colored fast lands into pioneer at some point. And once that happens, you know, you know, this will definitely be a player. And honestly, I expect it to be a player even before then, which is why it's so high on both of our lists. Yep. You're number three, number three that nobody has seen yet, because I definitely didn't accidentally reveal it to everybody watching. That didn't happen. Containment priest. The second, uh, reprint on uh, on either of our lists. For those who don't know, call us in a white, 2-2, two -two, human cleric with flash. If a non-token creature would enter the battlefield and it wasn't cast, exile it instead. A card that sees play in Legacy. card that sees some play in Modern. And here in Pioneer, we've got Absent Rally. This card just shuts down Return of the Ranks, Call of the Death Dwellers, Rally the Ancestors, any of that. Luris recasting creatures shuts down Uro and notably it it automatically exiles it so if your opponent casts Uro from the graveyard they cast to escape it and as and your you containment priest in response unless they kill that priest still with their Uro on the stack that Uro is just gone it's not like they get to sort of you know put it back in the graveyard and try again later and uh, you know two mana two two not an exciting body but not an embarrassing one this isn't like a 2-mana 1-1 one, one, or 1-2 one, or an 0-1, oh, anything in that realm. This can get some damage in. It can block 1-1s. One, it can at least... It's not going to be relevant in combat all the time. Sometimes it's going to be irrelevant. Oh, it says it wasn't cast? Yeah, it doesn't okay. stop Okay, Chad is telling me I'm stupid. Yeah. And you're probably agreeing with them. Yeah. <sighs> also, it's not it's not in modern just yet, so this is actually a pretty big printing for it in M21, so now it's legal in modern and in Pioneer, so uh, yeah, Card's great, really good sideboard card. I think it's going to show up. It's good against a lot of things that are going going on. It's in the okay. Format. We'll edit that part out, Tannen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like we're going to edit that part out. Sure, it'll be fine. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'll, you you hit it. We'll we'll just move past this. No one will remember. <laughs> go to go to number two on my list. My general point is Matt still. We'll still do matters. it live. All right, we're doing it live. Yeah. Okay. The general points about the card are yeah. still relevant. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stop or not stopping Uro is kind of a, kind of a bitch to be honest. Yeah, um, and it wasn't because escape is casting. 
this game with its minutia of details. Yeah, Winoda, Luca, all these poly, like any sort of polymorph effect. Um, all of the mono black aggro stuff. Like this is a must kill for mono black aggro. Any creature from a planeswalker. Uh, Soren minus three. Yeah, you said Winoda, uh, right? Yeah, Winoda. Yeah, collect the company. There's there's a lot of stuff. Col- yeah, collect the company from spirits. Uh, Neo, yeah, Neoform and Modern. That's a big one. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's show and te- show and tell is like the biggest one. This was, you know, it's yeah, like yeah. that's definitely the classic. Sneak and show matchup con- in in those matchups. So, uh, you know, ignore what so, I said about Uro. Someone just Everything said a, someone said a pretty cool combo that I hadn't even thought of yet. You can play this with Eldrazi Displacer. Yeah, that's something that people have done in Modern before, um, and that is now Pioneer legal, or have done it not Modern in Legacy. Um, stops it, seen, stops Phoenix as well, Ross. Yeah. The thing that's stopping Phoenix is not hate cards existing. It's the lack of a second cantrip after opt. So we'll, we'll see how that works. But this is a... Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else that stops. But it, it stops enough um, that this is a card that we'll definitely see play. You know, maybe you... Uh, you're not going to see it all the time. But this is a card that you're going to have to just keep in the back of your mind at all times when you're playing Pioneer... And play it when it's good. Don't play it when it is. All right. Number two on my list. Number two. Moving on. So this one for me, uh, it, I'm kind of getting flashbacks of us talking about removal spells in the last uh, top eight that we did. But I think this one might be a little bit better than the last one. Eliminate. One in a black. Destroy target creature or planeswalker with converting mana cost three or less. Smother was a very good removal spell in its day. And this cool. is just Smother Plus. That day was a long time ago, Tannen. Smother's been reprinted, I think, twice since then. Yeah, it also killed. It also killed. See, Dr. essentially Keith. zero play. Yeah. In the two times it was reprinted. Hey, man, allow me to keep making these callbacks to old cards. All right, I did it earlier with Undead Gladiator. We talked about a lot of stuff. Let me do my thing. All right. Well, what I want to, I want to, you know, t- just let everybody know. Like, you know, a lot of people might not remember when Smother was good. It's been so been so long. That card was really good in its day. Like, it's all playing extended. It was really critical to have a card that could kill both Wild Mongrel and Psychotog. Yeah. And it Smother did both. And in Odyssey Block and Invasion Block, for some reason, like, all of the removal was, like, color-specific. And so Wild Mongrel, randomly, when you discard it, it got plus one plus one. But it also could just change colors. So they'd be like, oh, I'll slay that. Like, yeah, make it blue. Yeah, I'll, like, you know, play uh, Terror or something. Doomblade. And, you know, Terror is yeah. the one that existed. I'll make it black. And you're just like, what the fuck? Why is this a thing that people get to do? Uh, and the Smother was like color agnostic, finally, you know, dealt with the two most common threats. It was super important when it was originally printed in Onslaught. But yeah, I think this added clause onto it is a big deal. Yeah, I think it's a big, big plus in it because, you know, it doesn't kill Teferi at instant speed, but it does kill Teferi, like you said. Um, it does kill, you know, the one we talked about earlier, uh, Basri Cat. I'm still not used to saying that kills name Narset, yet. Narset, it kills, uh, Nissa, Voices Endicar, I think we're gonna Domri's. see, yeah, I think we're gonna see an uptick in, um, Gideon's Trials. Yeah, and Soren so as killing well. Killing Gideon, I think, is really big. That card is actually hard to attack. Like, going up to four and stopping a creature, I mean, it's hard to attack that one down. So having a straight-up one-for-one removal spell when it's plus one doesn't generate any value. Really, really nice. And, like, the color that it's in, right? Like, you'd want this in, like, say, the black aggro deck quite a bit. It kind of hits all the cards that are a problem for you, right? Like, it hits all the creatures that you're trying to get through early in the game. Um, it does kill Uro, so you can kind of, like, keep attacking through that stuff. It's not the, the best way to do it, but it does do it. 
but it also kills, like you said, getting into trials out of some of your opponent's decks as well. So it's not just dead in a lot of the matchups. So I like this in the fact that it's going to be good and ubiquitous in the format quite a bit. It's going to miss some cards somewhere, like someone just mentioned this, it doesn't uh, hit Inverter, which sucks. But, I mean, most of the time, killing the 6-6 six, six isn't enough to yeah, the game Yeah, when has anyway. killing Inverter been the thing that you want to do? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. So... Um, I think that this card is good and definitely has the potential of being like somewhere between a one to three of in some decks in this format. So, yeah, just a really good removal spell. Honestly, like as much as we have got dinged early in the show for overhype and heartless act, this to me is, is better. Oh yeah, uh, than than heartless act, as is pointed out in our chat by Rachel Feingersh. You know, inverter being able to kill Gideon, that's actually been something that's difficult that's for them to deal. do. They're playing heroes downfalls to do it. This could definitely be a big player in Inverter. And Inverter is right now the number one deck in the metagame. That's uh, bolstering the number one deck. Not something you always want to see, but I think that's a very clear home for it. I I think that I think you're going to see a lot fewer uh, downfalls and more eliminates in those decks. So they still need some downfall for Jace in the Mirror and and Ashiok and other things. But um, this is definitely this is a card. This does kill both ends of uh, Jace Friends Prodigy too. We've been talking about how good those three mana planeswalkers are since War of the Spark was printed, and like now we have an, a removal spell that efficiently answers them, or at least removes them from the battlefield. You know, they still get some value, but also is good against aggro decks. And I, I don't think we've had that before. Like Scorching Dragonfire is ubiquitous and standard because it can do both of those things, but it doesn't reliably do them. And now, now we have eliminated. Definitely a, a very good one. So what's your number two, Ross? Numero dos, Lofty Denial. Colorless blue instant. Counter target spell unless its controller pays one. If you control a creature with flying, counter that spell unless its controller pays four instead. If you are a devotee of the Pioneer cast, or you have followed my career or Tannin's career for the last few years, you may... Be aware that both of us are pretty big fans of Mono Blue Tempo. Uh, Mono Blue Shitters, as a lot of people uh, refer to it lovingly. A deck that Autumn Burchett won the first Mythic Championship with, and a deck that I made second of an open with, Tannen made top eight of an open with. Uh, Just a great deck. Love playing it. We thought maybe C Dash or Octopus could uh, elevate it. But here's been my problem with that kind of deck in Pioneer. And it's that the counter spells that you played in uh, in Standard, either Wizards Retort or a Lookouts Dispersal, required you to have a certain number of Wizards or Pirates, respectively, in order to make them two mana, which is really important. And you just don't want to play that many wizards or pirates in your deck in Pioneer. You want to play Brazen Borrower, that's a fairy rogue. You know, you, de- you still want to play Siren Storm Tamer, but I don't really want to play Merfolk Trickster. I don't think that card's very good unless, in Pioneer unless you're using Devotion. Uh, maybe I want to play Brian Brown Cutthroat, but I don't want to be forced to. And then, you know, with that and Spectral Sailor, that's barely enough to maybe make uh, Lookout's Dispersal work. Having a creature with flying which basically all of your one-drops do, regardless of their creature type, and your Brazen Borrowers do, I think is a huge upgrade. 
Not to say that even if you don't have a one-mana creature, like if your turn one is opt, and you go turn two go, and you hold up Bramper Cutthroat, and your opponent plays a really powerful two or three drop, you can still counter it. It's not like Wizards Retort and Lookout's Dispersal that cost three normally and get the re cost reduction. This just gets an increase in the effect. So you still actually get to use it on turn two, even if you don't have a one drop or it got killed. I think this card is huge for this style of deck in Pioneer. Um, and maybe I'm overrating it, but I think this style of deck has been sort of knocking on the edges of playability. I'm not going to say maybe. I'm going to say that you are overrating it. Uh, okay. <laughs> Ross and I had a little discussion before. You know, we kind of saw most of each other's top eights before the show. And uh, I'm not I'm not buying this one. You know, you know, that uh, what, what is the it's like uh, one of the ESPN shows that do buy or sell. I, I'm, I'm I'm selling this. You're buying it. I'm selling it. Just a traitor. I mean, Brutus. Look, look at two Tannen. Yeah, I know. Right. Look, we, we've at got two? we've got a lot of options and most of them are better than this. Right. And like, don't forget that like mystical dispute is just better most of the time. And so like that, you know, like everyone plays that card. So not ever. I mean, Mystical Dispute is a fucked up card, and I hate that it exists. Same. But there was plenty of matchups where you can't dispute people, Tannen. I agree. You gotta win those matches, too. Ross, I'm not saying I won't cast this card at some point in time in my life, because I'm definitely going to, right? Um, I don't know if I see it making it in Pioneer. I just, I, I, I'm not sure. It, people it, are playing Sensor, Tannen. They're playing Sensor. Yeah, because that card cycles. Well, this card actually, instead of being dead and forcing you to cycle it, it becomes good. Does it? I don't know if it does, but... Two mana counter unless you pay four is a messed up card. Okay, it's... it's it, This card is fine. This card is fine. This is this was one of the... Uh, this is one of the, the points where Ross and I completely disagreed. Um, I think on my list, because we're about to get to my number one, and this is going to be the segue into it... Um, I couldn't really figure out where I wanted to put all the cards. I'm kind of regretting the one that I had at number one. I actually told Ross to flip them, but we didn't. It's completely fine. Um, but I think any of my top four could easily be the number one card out of the set. I would say three of your top four could easily be the number one out of the set, with Lofty Denial <laughs> being <laughs> nowhere close to number one. Okay. Well, your number... Well, what did we do? Oh! It's, you're the one of the... We're not, we're not oh, doing yeah, number yeah. ones yet. We're not doing the number one. Sorry, I, I did. I did. You got, uh, you got, you got ahead of me. We got to right. do the drum roll. Yeah, we can't segue into it. We got to do overrated and underrated. Yeah. So my Tannen's overrated card from the set is Conspicuous Snoop. Yeah, this is a card that's getting a lot of press as like the new Splinter Twin type thing going on in modern. But anyway, it's getting a lot of press, right? Like a lot of people Wait, are talking about what? This card. Who? What are the, what are you splintered? Oh, with Kiki Jiki? Yeah, this in Kiki Jiki goes in. Can it. Kiki Jiki target itself? No, you uh, you have a one drop in play or whatever. There's it's this there. It's like a three card combo thing. People will okay. So somebody found it. Whatever. I don't look, man. I I'm not Jim Davis. I'm not playing goblins. Like I'm not doing this. Or that is not at all how I envision this card being utilized. But I think this card is quite good. It was borderline on my list. Yeah, I think this card could be good, but I do think it's overrated. A lot of people think that it's very good, and I'm not seeing it in a format where I just don't think it's doing enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. I don't want to play... If I'm playing a red deck, I don't think I want to play a deck that has to have X amount of goblins to make this card good. We're getting in chat that it is a two-card combo, and for the reason that I thought. It's, Kiki Jiki says copy target non-legendary right. creature. Okay, that makes and sense. So because it's legendary, Kiki can't target itself. Right. But when Conspicuous Snoop has its activated ability, Snoop can target itself. Okay. So it is a two-card combo if you have the Kiki on top of your deck. But that's not what I'm interested in doing. 
All I'm interested in doing is giving my goblin decks a cheap experimental frenzy. Now this isn't frenzy because you can't play that land off the top, which is really important. But in goblin decks, it's still going to generate you some card advantage a lot more easily than some of the others. And it's going to do so efficiently because it's already a two mana two, two. I agree with that stuff. And those are all good points, right? Those are good feathers in the cap. You're still playing a goblin deck though. Well, but I don't want to be playing like, you know, goblin ringleader, like that old style legacy goblin deck that was kind of good in 2008. If your name is Jim Davis. Don't forget ringleader is legal. Yeah, I, I, and I understand that. I think that's what people are going to look to try to do. I don't want to be the grindy goblin deck. Yeah. I want to play this card in the reckless bushwhacker 21-drop so goblin yeah. deck. Because the low curve means that you're sometimes going to draw multiple cards in a turn. You're also going to set up and find more bushwhackers. You can surge bushwhacker off the top of your deck. Ringleader, like bushwhacker, that kind of stuff off the top. I'm interested in that. That's something, yeah. like surging bushwhacker, that is something I can get into. Like, you're talking about doing that off the top of the deck. All I see is Macho Man Randy Savage doing the elbow drop off the top turnbuckle. <laughs> that's that's how I see this yeah. happening. And people are going to do this, and it's going to be good. Like, that, that's going to be good. You want to actually kill people. I, I don't want to grind people with goblins. It's not, no. Just, no. Like, the other aggro decks are going to kill you, and then you're not going to kill, uh, you're not going to kill the combo decks quick enough. Like, I just, no. Get out of here with that. It's, yeah, it's just not... Okay, somebody said that Surge is only from hand, but that's not... I'm literally reading the card. You say... It says, you may cast this spell for its Surge cost if you or a teammate has cast another spell this turn. I'm... I'm Because I... I This is one I actually checked before the show to make sure I was right. <laughs> because I, I'm excited about this interaction. And I... Like, the, day of gob, the days of Goblin Ringleader are long gone. And honestly, like, that deck only works because of Aetherfile. Right, because the the cards are already two mana inefficient, and if Vile was the broken card in that deck, the same yes. way it was in Extended in two thousand five. I'm I'm, I'm going to say one other thing about this because I have been hating on the Goblin decks a lot. You know, saying you know, but you're playing a Goblin deck, this or that, blah blah blah. I will admit the fact that I cannot remember the last time I beat Goblins in Legacy. I've gotten <laughs> just utterly destroyed by it every single time that I play it. But when you're talking about the low to the the ground, you know, I'm playing Foundry Street Denizen and, you know, uh, Legion Loyalist kind of deck. That's the deck that takes best advantage of Experimental Frenzy kind of effects because you get to, you know, sometimes you get to get multiple cards more often. And it's the deck that needs that resilience. You know, that deck is very linear, very one-dimensional, conspicuous soup, lets it win longer games, f still fits into the curve, uh, you know, not ideally as a two-drop, Generally, you you want to be so linear that you're almost all ones. Uh, it's a little awkward with Burning Tree Emissary because it's red and green. There's not a green goblin you can play. If you want to play all goblins, instead of just being mono-red Bushwhacker, you can't really play Bomat Courier. Um, so maybe you have to give up uh, Burning Tree Emissary, and maybe Emissary is better. But this deck has always lacked that kind of resilience, and Snoop gives it that resilience. So I'm in for trying that style of deck. Like, you know... 20, 21 lands, uh, you know, like two castle ember cleaves, right? Four ram and ruins and mountains and 21 drops. You know, I'm, I'm not looking for a second color. I'm not looking to play anything that costs three. <laughs> get, get these three drops out of my deck and I'm looking to get people dead. And if they're not going to be dead, I'm going to go snoop guy, like creature, creature and, uh, you know, go off from there. But outside of that, yeah, um... Though, I, actually, in Modern, still, I think there can be, a, 
like the goblin combo deck. Skirk Prospector, Grumgully, and the, the Persist Goblin, or Metallic Mimic. Maybe there's something there with that. Uh, but in Pioneer specifically, I'm only looking to be the super low-to-the-ground aggro deck. Okay, my overrated card from the set is Teferi, Master of Time. Definitely agree with this one as well, by the way. Yeah, um, I think the thing... The issue here is the first thing that you read of this card is that static ability where you're like, oh, I can activate this twice, and that seems really, really good. And the abilities read, like, kind of okay. It's got the, like, plus, gain a little bit of advantage, minus, I deal with a creature, I've got an ultimate that does something. Uh, I don't even know what it does. What is it? Take two extra turns, yeah. Any time stretch? Sure. But the, the real big issue for me here is that minus three is just not a very powerful effect. And Corey has mentioned this multiple times on Versus. If you compare it, obviously it's not removing the creature. It's stopping it. So it feels more like a bounce spell. But it's way worse than a bounce spell. Because when you bounce a creature, they have to spend mana to get it back on and the battlefield. Time. Yeah. Or, but, but with phasing it out, it just comes back. And even if you phase out tokens or phase out an enchanted creature, all that stuff comes back. Phasing doesn't work the same way where it deals with any of that nonsense. So you'd never get any value out of it. It's like detaining the creature. Yeah, yeah, no, I think uh, putting it, comparing it to detain, I hadn't made that jump. I think that's actually a really apt. Yeah, not a mechanic that showed up in Constructed. Yeah, I think there was like one card that made it. It was a sideboard card because it had pro-red or whatever, yeah. And, And, you know, four mana starts on three loyalty. Not great. Pretty easy to attack down. I think a lot of the time you're just going to be playing it and double looting. And then, okay, now it's at five loyalty, harder to attack down. But you haven't really gained any value. You know, it's a, Now you've got a four mana faithless looting and you've untapped with this in play. That's like the best you can do. And so the upside here just isn't there for me. I think this could be a bit player in standard, but in Pioneer, it's just below the bar. Uh, all, all copies of it too, by the way. Every, every form of its art. All yeah, apparently there's like seven different arts. I yeah, there's like a bunch of different backgrounds or something. Yeah, who knows? Definitely not me. All right, what was the next, next one? Step we have to is do? underrated cards from the set, and much like last time when Tannen drove me crazy trying to say multiple cards, when all I want him to do is say one card so I can make a nice little image and type it in. I guess we're not typing anything here, but I've chosen Shacklegeist here, but you've also. Tried to lump this card in with uh, something Pilferer, whatever that card is. Ghostly Pilferer? Ghostly, yeah. He just kept telling me the spirits. Yeah. So I, I do think that both of these cards are very good and playable when you look at them. The question comes down to, is there room in the spirit stack to play these, right? And with some of the cards that we're seeing out of the set, like Lofty Denial and some of you know the other blue and white cards that are, that are coming on, Maybe Azorius Spirits is the way to go now. You don't need that third color, and then you have some more room in the deck, right? Like, you could play a few more other spells. These do have good abilities on both of these cards, and it just comes down to if there's enough room and then how many copies that you want. But I, I like, you know, Spirit decks. I like that kind of play. You know, the tempo-ish creature deck. This one's a little less Delvery and a little more, like, like Goblins, you know, where you just go thing, thing. Yeah. Well, like Spirits the way it plays in Pioneer. Like, that's what the Spirits deck is. It's not really a Delver deck. Yeah, as I was saying, I, I, I kind of like that stuff. And these give you 
uh, a way to attack at angles that we haven't seen yet. You know, this one can tap in a creature that an, a, an opposing player uh, controls. The other one lets you draw a lot of extra cards as the game goes on, depending on what your opponent's doing. So maybe they're, that one could be like more of a sideboard kind of card in some of these matchups. But anytime where you get to keep doing your main plan, which is putting a spirit creature into play at every, at every aspect of the game, but they get to keep having abilities that are relevant. You know, like this one's good against other creature decks in Shackle Guys. The other one's good against uh, Lotus Breach. And so they don't take away from your main plan, which is beating down your opponent with a spirit creature. So you're not putting a bunch of negates and lofty denials and mystical disputes in your deck. You probably still have those anyway, but you're not overloading with these cards that aren't attacking your opponent and giving them time. You're overloading with uh, hate cards. It's, it's kind of why cards like Containment Priest are good. You know, the fact that it stops your opponent, but it also kills them at the same time. You know, getting to attack is a big deal for your hate yeah, card. Yeah, it, it might be worse at each of those worlds than something else, but the fact that it pulls double duty is where you're getting a lot of value. To me, when I think about Shacklegeist, the one on the screen, I think about it relative to Nebelgast Herald. And when I'm playing a deck like Spirits, lowering my curve is really valuable to me. So saving a mana on a somewhat similar card, okay, I'm starting to think about it. But the effect is much worse. Now, it's not a ton worse, right? Because you often are trying to play creatures that you're trying to attack with on their end step. You can often just do that before they attack, tap down their best attacker. You know, it's particularly good with Collecting Company. You get two spirits, you immediately use them to take care of an attacker. Um, your creatures don't block that well, uh, especially some of the smaller ones. So I, this is the kind of card that I think I have to see in play before I make a final judgment on it. And I could see it taking the place of Nebelgast Herald if I'm underrating it, but I'm uh, I'm skeptical. This is the kind of card that wins the mirror. I'll let you know that. Like when you have this in your deck, if your opponent does yeah. it in the mirror, you're you're going to win if this card. Def gets definitely a good one in the mirror. I'll get I'll give you that. And then uh, the pilfer. That's the kind of card. That's another one of those cards that I want to be good, but I know just isn't. I think it's yeah. a, just too inefficient. And it, I agree with you that it, it's good against combo decks because it lets you you know draw into your interaction. But it's not good enough against the rest of the metagame to, for me to want to put it in my deck. Because I'm not going to sideboard it, because there are better hate cards. And it's not good enough against the rest of the field to main deck it. So it gets caught in this no-man's land. So I'm I'm down on the Pilfer Shacklegeist. I am uh, skeptical, but I can see where you're going with it. My underrated card from the set. Selfless Savior. One white mana for a 1-1 dog. It says, Sacrifice Selfless Savior. Another target creature you control against indestructible until end of turn. Ross, I think you're very, very brave. To choose a 1-mana one 1-1 one with no ability as your card, as your underrated card in this format. As your underrated I, card. Like I just I, read the card. It has an ability. I see no ability of this card that I will ever activate ever in the history. I you will just have to sacrifice the dog. I will die before I do that. You just have to sacrifice the dog. No. And then you get to become indestructible. No. Like, th this card has no text. What if we just slapped, like, a picture of Benny on it? No. You put her on one of the other ones, like Pack Leader <laughs> yeah. or something. You don't put her on this one. Put her on the ones with indestructible and hexproof. Yeah. You put her on the ones that can't be sacrificed. <laughs> Because I will die before I let anything happen to my dog. Selfless Savior <laughs> is a card, not a dog. <laughs> and I we talked about this during the last set review when I talked about Fight is One. 
as this kind of effect that's easy to overlook because it's not very splashy and not super exciting when you first read it. You know, it's not a planeswalker. It's never going to just completely take over a game. But it's very efficient at what it does. Very efficient role player. And that's what Selfless Savior does. You know, Dauntless Bodyguard, we've seen C play as a one-mana 2-1. The fact that Savior can, like, protect things that come after it is really nice on your curve. The fact that, you know, it works really well with Luris if you want to be doing that. The fact that it can protect a key, you know, combo piece if you're a creature combo deck as soon as it enters the battlefield. All really important. You know, this is a card that will I'm 100% certain we'll see play at certain points, but it's never going to be the key card in a deck. It's never going to be the card that makes you want to play a certain deck, but it's always going to be the card that holds everything together, makes sure that your opponent's interaction just isn't good enough, and, you know, make sure your deck works. It's a perfect role player. And that's the kind of card that I always look for when I'm thinking about underrated cards, because it's the role players that always get overlooked. And it's the star players that get all the attention, all the hoopla, all the hype. But it's the role players that really get you to a championship. We are down to the drum roll, but I need more a few cards that didn't show up that, you know, we came really close. Um, my ninth place card for my top eight was Nine Lives. So the card that just, just barely missed, Nine Lives. I think it's a card that could show up somewhere. Usually people much smarter than me break that card and do well with it. Um, nine another, Lives in ninth place? Yep, you, you got it. Uh, another card that you're just gonna do that straight faced. Yeah, another card right to my face and just not. Another card that uh, stop talking. Another card that almost showed up <laughs> that uh, I think possibly could show up in the format. It just matters where it fits on the curve for certain cards. Solemn Simulacrum. I think it's kind of weird that we're not talking about this card at all. Isn't that one already in Pioneer? Uh, no. It was in one of the core sets, right? Like M13. Oh, maybe it was in M13 and or M12. It was definitely in M12. Yeah, Solemn Simulacrum is not in Pioneer. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was in M12. That's that's too early. It was printed in the last few years, but it was printed in, like, supplemental sets. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It, I, I I know now it was in M12 because I drafted it on day two of Grand Prix Montreal in August of 2012. And the one card for me uh, that I wish was going to be playable but is not, and I really, really want it to be good, is Sublime Epiphany. The, the new Cryptic Command-like card, you know, just a whole bunch of abilities on it six mana do whatever the hell you want it's six mana do whatever you want yeah um i think it's very good the problem Instant. is mystical dispute is everywhere in the format i'll tell you this if you ever get to cast torrential gear hulk flashing back that card the game is over i, I honestly i really i really hate that mystical dispute exists i 100 percent agree with because you. it's so much better than all of those other sort of conditional counter spells that it pushes all of them out you know, we've seen a little bit of negate basically but like basically dispel is now unplayable you know, all the other similar ones. And it makes the blue aggro deck so much worse. And it makes cards like Torrential Gear Hulk so much worse. I fucking hate Mystical Dispute. Really hate it. That's all. Show's over. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're here <laughs> number, to sit here. Number ones are, we hate Mystical Dispute. Yeah. All right, so, drum roll. Drum roll, please. Tannen Grace's number one card from Coruscant 2021 for Pioneer on the official Pioneer cast set review show is... Big surprise here. So you just, you took a one-off? You tried to juke me right at the end? Because you, you were following me perfectly. Uh, so like I said, I think my top four are kind of interchangeable. I had, I kind of just 
through some numbers and I think all these cards are very very good and they're gonna get played everywhere but my number one is containment priest um again I don't know if this is literally the best card in the set for pioneer but I do think this one is going to have some big impact somewhere um it matters if the Abzan rally deck as well uh is is something that comes back uh, like you said it, in the weeks where it's good it's the best deck and in other weeks it's literally unplayable so we'll have to see if that has started happening. And if uh, I do think that Spirits is going to make a pretty big comeback. I low-key think we're getting to a point where the Abzan Rally deck is good again. Yeah, exactly. That's I what I'm wanna, saying. So I want to play it this weekend. And also, I think it's 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 not understated how actually good this card is. And not just the card itself, but the fact the card exists and people have to play around it and stuff is also a big deal as well. Yeah, I remember when this card got printed and I was playing Legacy Elves and I was big mad. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Big mad. I already can't ever beat Death and Taxes, even though it's supposed to be my best matchup. But now you just gave them Containment Priest. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> uh, it is, uh... yeah, the card is just very powerful at what it does, you know. it It's hard to understand how powerful it is because its power is derived from the power of something else. But you have to understand that if not, if creatures are entering the battlefield and they weren't cast non-token creatures specifically, your opponent is cheating on mana in some way. Because that's the only way they reason they would want to do that. Right? So they're cheating on mana in some way. Whether it's Tooth and Nail, Collected Company, Rally the Ancestors, Dredged Creatures Triggering, any of that nonsense. It's all The reason those effects are really powerful is because they're effectively cheating on mana. They can sometimes generate card advantage, but the biggest issue, the biggest gain is in tempo. And Containment Priest just shuts all of that down. So the fact that it is such a clean answer to such a wide variety of effects that generate consistent advantage along one of the main axes from which magic is played is a big deal. And then it's just attached to, you know, like we said earlier, not a great rate body, but a, a fine one. Two mana, two two will do. Okay, uh, well, I will get to my number one, and I will follow you for a change, Okay. This was Tannen's number two. My number one is Eliminate. Uh, I'm going to echo what Tannen said. I think my top four can generally be interchangeable, especially Lofty Denial, which is just really, really good. That's not what I said at all. <laughs> Echoing Tannen exactly. Lofty Denial should be number one, but I want it to hold back a little bit. So Eliminate... I, we just haven't... I don't think we've ever seen such an efficient way to remove a Planeswalker from the battlefield. Now, you know, you can say, like, Heroes Downfall and Swift End uh, can, you know, deal with five and six mana Planeswalkers, but these really powerful three mana walkers that have been printed over the last you know, two years are just format staples across the board, including in Pioneer. And it's been really difficult... And I, part of the reason that these cards have been so good is because it's difficult to have an efficient answer to them that doesn't leave you super vulnerable to low-curve aggressive decks. And Eliminate fills that hole more so than any other card we've seen printed in that time. Uh, you know, Abrupt Decay also exists, but you have to be Golgari. Absolutely. And that's a, a big cost in, in Pioneer, where the mana is not nearly as free as it is in Modern and Legacy. And maybe that's one of the reasons that Sultai does well. And we, we haven't really seen a lot of Sultai recently, but when it was doing well, you know, Abrupt Decay was a big part of it. 
So abrupt decay is very good. Uh, but eliminate here, being able to fit into mono black aggro, into Demir Inverter, and a bunch of other decks that aren't beholden to playing green and can have a better mana base while also playing this card, you know, even if they have Muta Vault or other utility lands, is a really big deal. And, that, you know, it is, you know, <laughs> honestly, uh, Tyler Durden in chat mentions Oko and Oro and Krasis, and, like, kind of putting that together, it feels like they knew that Oko, Oro, and Krasis were really, really good, and that, you know, they often do print that really good answer right at the end of those cards' existence and shift the balance of things. And maybe that's why they've set Eliminate here. They're just going to get countered by the one green spell that's also banned. Yeah, but they also gave us Bill Summer. What the fuck is going on over there? I don't know, man. I don't know what's in the water in Renton, but it is dirty. <laughs> Regardless, Eliminate. Just a really good magic card. And uh, I don't think this set is going to have as big of an impact as um, even the last two sets have had. I think both Theros Beyond Death and Ikoria completely reshaped what Pioneer was going yeah. in. I was going to say, it's going to be hard to compare almost anything to Ikoria in the future in the fact that we had to errata an entire type of card because of what it <laughs> yeah, did. Um, that's true. But even Theros Beyond Death completely reshaped the format. Like, the, the, the good decks that existed after Theros Beyond Death were all decks that could not have existed before that. Because of Thassa's Oracle, Heliod, and Underworld Breach. And even Uro for Sultai, if you want to go top four decks. So the the last two sets and the first two that were released after Pioneer both radically altered the landscape of the format. This one is going to have a much more subdued effect. I think we can be pretty confident in that, uh, which is why I'm happy putting Eliminate at the top of my list, because this is not a card that is going to completely reshape a format. This is a card that's going to show up, it's going to be good, but you're not going to stop playing Teferi and Narset and Gideon of the Trials because Eliminate exists. That's just not how the threat answer paradigm works. You play the answers because they're good against the threats. You play the threats because they're good in the backing. Or they're good in your deck. Right? That's just how it works. But Eliminate matches up so well against the threats that exist that I expect it to become a staple removal spell. And hopefully three months from now, it's not another Heartless Act. Yeah. Are you getting uh, vibes of, like, the James Bond villain or anything right now? You know, the guy, like, Oh, yeah, with, um... Oh, God. What was the cat's name actually in the Bond movies? I know in Austin Powers it was Mr. Bigglesworth. Yeah, but I don't remember. Uh, And I know that... It was Hans Blofeld was the villain. I've actually seen a lot of Bond films. You may not expect or know this about me, but just one time in college I was like, you know what, I've, like, never seen the old Bond films. I should watch a bunch of them. I, I haven't seen all of them. I've seen all the Connery ones. I stopped after, like, I got bored. There's, like, eight Connery ones, and then you're just like, this is the same movie over and over again. Uh, I think I've seen one or two that are, are with either, well, Dalton only ever did one. And then I, I think I've seen maybe one with Roger Moore. And I've seen, I mean, Pierce Brosnan, it was a bond in my lifetime, so I, I'm sure I've seen one or two with him. And I've seen... I saw Casino Royale in theaters I've with seen Daniel Craig. All of the newer ones. Casino Royale is actually just a good movie. Yeah, Casino Royale is good. In particular, um, Ava Green is really good in that movie. Yeah, I just think that one's actually just like if you if it was a movie where the character was not James Bond, if it was just a random standalone movie and it's a it's a random character, the movie would still be very very good. You know, yeah. I, I actually would argue with a lot of people that it's the best Bond film of all time. No, I, I could definitely see that. There's a couple Connery ones I like. 
I actually really like Dr. No, which is the first one. I, I probably need to go back and rewatch those as an adult, you know? Um, yeah, watch uh, watch Dr. No and uh, Rollerball. Or is it Rollerball or Thunderball? It's not ro- Rollerball. is the, the roller derby. Yeah. I think it's Thunderball. Something like that. I don't know. I'm getting confused, but... Um, but Doctor No is I, I, like that's kind of why I started watching more of them because I, I like got the idea in my head and I watched Doctor No and I was like this one's good and then I kept watching them I was like well these aren't as good and eventually I gave up. Um, but I don't think I've ever, I've seen any of the Daniel Craig ones post Casino Royale, but none of them have ever been reviewed well. They actually um, just moved the newest one. I think it's No Time to Die or whatever. I think is the name of the newest one, but it's it's coming out on my birthday this year because they tried to find a date when theaters will be open since they're you know opening relatively soon yeah i'm not going to one of those for a long time by the way well like a long the, long the, time the co-op a movie th- not co-op but community-owned movie theater in roanoke i've been the only person in the theater multiple times and that makes me feel better about it but yeah definitely not going to uh, if they set up some kind of drive-in here i would totally be in but i think the nearest one to me we is actually like- have a drive-in like 45 minutes out of town I, I like drive-ins. Drive-ins are fun. Yeah, I've been to one in my life. We had one in Vegas, and I went to it. But I think the closest one to me now is in Austin, Texas, which is about oh, wow. six to seven hours, depending on... We had some old ones in Connecticut when I was a kid. I've, I've been to, to a drive-in many times. You know, it's, it is something fun that we could do. That's actually where Benny's from. That's where we went. That's, uh... Did I ever tell you about the day that we went and got her? I th- I vaguely think... I think so, but I don't really I'll remember. I'll tell the story tell real story. quick. So, um... When when we moved back from Vegas to Baton Rouge, we had already you know paid. Oh no, we had already established that we were going to get Benny. Uh, you know, Benny. We already were like we're getting this dog. Uh, the the person who had it was like you know we're we're going to come get her. My wife moved. She's my girlfriend at the time. I, my wife had moved back to Baton Rouge before I did because she actually went to Ecuador with her family, and I was still in Vegas finishing up the World Series that summer, right? And uh, Angel Claire is excited to find out that y'all have a drive-in since he's a new Roanokean. And um, I just remember because I flew home on July 4th because uh, we had to pick her, you know, Benny up on July 5th. So I had like a 6 a.m. flight from Las Vegas and I'm a poker player. So obviously I didn't sleep. Right. You know, I just, you know, left my house at like three or four in the morning, got to the theater, got to the theater, got to the airport, flew home, did a bunch of stuff with the, the family, you know, flew in. Um, I was living out of a suitcase. I had already shipped all my stuff, you know. And so I just take the suitcase, come home. We do a bunch of stuff. I think we got to bed at like midnight that night. So like, you know, a decent enough time or whatever, but I'm exhausted at this time. And we're having to sleep at her parents' house, you know, one of the extra bedrooms because we don't even know where to stay yet. We haven't gotten our apartment or whatever yet. And we wake up the next morning at 4.30 in the morning to drive to Austin, Texas so we could pick up the dog and drive home because it's like a six to eight hour drive. And there's more to the story too. Um, like we, uh, when we went to pick her up, we had mapped out a bank that was close to where we were going because they lived on like the edge of the city or whatever. Right. And, um, we show up to the bank and it's just a parking lot. There's just, there's just no bank. And cause we were going to get a traveler's check or whatever, right. To give them. And there's no bank. So we're like, all right, what are we going to do? So, you know, get on my phone and look for the nearest bank that we use. And there, the nearest one is an extra 45 minutes further into Texas. So it's going to add an extra hour and a half to the trip, right? And we're like, oh, man, this sucks or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I call the people up, and they're super nice, right? Like, we love this family. They still send us Christmas stuff. We still send them pictures of Benny. And uh, I was like, hey, uh, you know, we're coming to pick up the dog. We're having a problem. We can't pick up, like, a, 
traveler's check is there anywhere around you all to do that and they're like no not really that was like the only thing and they tore down because no one goes to it you know just, there's just no need for it out here or whatever but well you know everybody just goes in the city so i was like i know y'all aren't excited about this, but will y'all take cash and because i hadn't even had time to like empty my wallet from playing in the world series and i just happened to have enough cash on me and anyone who knows anything about dogs pomeranians are not cheap i just like my wife's like what are you doing with that much in your pocket i'm like i, I just had my wallet you know like so Luckily, being a poker player saved us an extra, like, hour and a half of that trip. And now we got her. And I want to get her a buddy, but Natalie's not not too into that right now. We'll see. <laughs> she wants a kid. I can kind of understand that. Yeah. But. but, all right. So, um, I think that's about it for this week's episode. Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you, uh, see more of you, read more of your stuff, where would they go? Where would they go? They can go to many places, Tannen. I thought that was going somewhere else for a second. <laughs> they could go to hell. No, so. <laughs> so, first first place you can go uh, is, and, and the best place probably, is my Twitter. That is at Ross Hunnitz, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, that's where, you know, all of my other stuff gets sort of centralized and I do, you know, try to respond to people that ask me questions there. So if you have a question about anything, uh, that's the best place to get it answered. Then there is my content on Star City Games. My articles go up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Uh, this week's is about Garrick Unleashed, a card that we are both high on. Uh, so if you want to read about that card, you can do so now. My other content on SCG is uh, Versus Live, show that I do with Corey Baumeister every Tuesday and Thursday, 1 to 4 Eastern, uh, on the Star City Games Twitch channel, same place you used to go to to watch SCG Tour coverage. Uh, and, uh, you know, we play whatever we think is relevant. We've been having a lot of fun playing post-Core 2021 Standard for the last couple of weeks. We are actually doing a, a viewer-submitted deck list show for Thursday. And you still have time. You can find, uh, Corey and I both tweeted about it, respond to either tweet with your sweet brew. You can tag it with hashtag Team Ross or Team Corey if you would like to, to uh, get that in. I guess this is more for the people who are watching live right now than for the people who are hearing it recorded. If you're hearing it recorded, you're out of time. Uh, but if you're watching live, you, you can do this. So sorry to dagger the people who are listening to the recording. We appreciate y'all too. Uh, and then last but not least is my stream, which many people are watching now, and we also appreciate uh, twitch.tv slash Ross underscore Miriam. Uh, so just my name. Uh, and I try to stream once or twice during the week and then once or twice during the weekend. So, so generally, I would say once Monday through Thursday and then once or twice Friday to Saturday. Um, I'm, I'm going to be streaming the SCG Tour online events. Saturday is the first one of those, the Championship Qualifiers. Uh, and that's standard. I'll be streaming that all day Saturday or m most of the day, not all day. Uh, I guess hopefully all day. <laughs> so uh, you can catch me there. Uh, and thanks everybody who supports me on my Twitch channel. Uh, I think that's all for me. Where can they find you, Tannen? All right, you can find me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. Uh, I'm pretty active on there. So if you're looking to interact with me in any way, that's usually one of the best ways. You can also find me on Twitch at just Tannen Grace. Um, do a decent bit of streaming on there of Magic, uh, especially when M21 comes out. I, I, I plan on streaming quite a bit. I'll probably stream myself running to Mythic very quickly. I'll even probably do some MTGO uh, quite a bit on there as well. So if you like Limited, I'll be doing a bit, a bit of that. If they change the standard format anytime soon, I'll play some of that, but we'll see. Uh, if that changes up anytime soon, I'm definitely into playing some of that. I just have no real 
like desire to do that right now. As for the cast itself, uh, it does have a Twitter at Cast Pioneer. Make sure you follow there. You can get all the live updates on what's going on. Um, you can see when new shows are coming out or when new shows are being recorded when we do these live ones. And you can get some cool deck lists and cool discussions that are going on there as well. Uh, on our Twitter, you can see the link to the Discord, something that we mention on almost every show. We have a great Discord community. One of the best damn Discord communities on Twitch stuff, podcast things. Uh, yeah. Anyway, they're great. Um, I love all of the food and pet pictures that we've been getting in there lately. Keep it up, everybody. We talk about that almost every episode, but I can't tell you enough how much it just makes my day better. Plus, we've had some really cool discussions in there and some of the other stuff. Um, I pop in for AMAs like once a week. Uh, Ross does one every now and then as well. A little less often than me, but uh, he's more cur- curmudgeon than I am, so I'm probably better off for the AMAs anyway. That and, is true. Don't ask me anything. Yeah. <laughs> Also, uh, we have a Patreon. It's a um, patreon.com slash pioneercast. A lot of cool things going on there. Um, you can become a patron of the show. Help us out monetarily. We really appreciate it. If you can't, we understand. Just watching and listening is a big help. But, you know, we do have to keep the lights on. We do have to pay Brent for doing the editing of the show and, you know, helping keep Ross's apartment's lights on while he's doing shows like this. That you, helps you out. You said pay Brent, and I thought I heard you say pay for rent. I'm like, what the fuck are we renting? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take some space for the show, all right? I'm like, it's, it's, it's how I'm funneling my money. Shh. Am I paying your mortgage right now, Tannen? I don't know what's going on. Humble brag, I don't have a mortgage, Ross. Anyway. Um, I, I knew. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why it was a that. joke. Yeah, I don't know why I just said it. Anyway, so um, that threw me. But if you're a member of the, uh, if you are a member of the Patreon, so if you're a patron, there are patron-only channels in your Discord that you can only get into if you're one of those people as well. As we are going to be recording these special episodes sometime soon, we're going to be doing these once every four to six weeks, whenever we get the right time and enough questions. We're going to do an episode where if you're a patron of the show, you get to hear the episode. Otherwise, you're SOL. Sorry, you're out of luck. But these people are paying. There's still time to get into that Patreon before our first one. We're going to be doing that next week. Yeah, we're going to be doing it either probably like Sunday night, maybe Monday, Tuesday next week. Whenever I have vacation coming up, so we're trying to work this out. We were going to do it today, but with with the new set being spoiled, we wanted to get this show out as soon as possible, all the new cards. Uh, we got some really cool questions and stuff in there. For everybody who watched this week, thank you so much. Everybody continues watching um, at home and listening is probably the better way to put this, but we were doing a live episode this week. All right, well, everybody, thanks for listening at home, and we'll see you all next week. Bye.